This episode is brought to you by Kanye West and his legendary quote, I'm like a fly Malcolm X by any jeans necessary. Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, my people. Hello, my friends. The intro quote has nothing to do with the episode, so why did I quote Kanye West? Well, why not? These little quotes will become a tradition to start every episode. I mean, I love creative uses of the English language. I love rap. I love hip-hop. And with the Spanish episodes, which you will also get every now and then, you will also hear legendary quotes from my favorite reggaeton artists. Okay, so today is legendary. The first episode on the podcast. I have an incredible guest with me, Diona Griffin-Irons, who was instrumental in her own ways for this podcast to exist. Diona is the former director of diversity, talent, and inclusion for the Second City U.S. and Canada. A Second City Detroit alumna with over 20 years of experience as a performer, producer, and facilitator, Diona has taught over 200 workshops at colleges, women's shelters, corporate boardrooms, and worked with the United States Embassy in Norway and Latvia, introducing improv as a tool for social change. Her 2015 TEDx talk titled How I Improvised in Prison and Found My Voice at TEDxU Chicago has nearly 4,000 views on YouTube and I cannot recommend it more. She is an incredible human being and today she continues to teach, perform, and mentor in comedy. Please enjoy Diona Griffin-Irons. Diona Griffin-Irons, welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast. Diona, the unbreakable, the unmistakable, <laughs> the highly capable. What an honor. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm so glad to be a part of your podcast. This is amazing. This is the first episode. Officially, you are my first guest. How does that feel? Oh, I feel like, well, this means that the podcast was a virgin and yeah. I'm breaking it in. So <laughs> I feel... <laughs> I feel like I got to be really good so that you will yes. continue. <laughs> yes. Arguably, maybe one of the best days of our lives or maybe one of the worst. You never know. Right. That's true. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to have you. And one of the reasons uh, why I'm having you as my first guest, I told you in the email when I first invited you, is because your, well, your story embodies vulnerability identity, overcoming adversity. And you are one of the reasons, if not the reason, why this podcast exists. Because when I did the Second City Diversity and Fellowship, in, uh, the Diversity Inclusion and Fellowship in 2018, you came and gave a workshop called, uh, called Find Your Voice. And within it, you had this book, which you briefly mentioned. And it just screamed at me. And that workshop significantly shaped me. There's a Maya Angelou quote that says, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And while I do remember some of the exercises in the workshop, I just remember that it shook me. And a, a year later, I had like nine books to read. <laughs> I, I love buying books. I love learning. But I just had to buy The Artist's Way from Julia Cameron that you had that day. And I pushed aside all the other books. And in the beginning of the pandemic, I started reading it back in March and April. 
And I went 52 days without missing my morning pages, journaling three pages. I got it down to the point to 35 minutes every morning. And then I would miss a couple days, but I probably journaled like 150 days since the pandemic started. And within my journaling, I found out that I wanted to do a podcast because I love interviewing people. I love having vulnerable talks, sharing my story. And within this whole process, you were in my mind. I'm like, I have to ask Diona to be on this podcast. She seems really busy. She's like, obviously has two kids, her husband's doing her thing. Will she ever say yes? And now you're here. How crazy. Oh my goodness. I love how the universe works. I love how God works. I love how you picked the signs and you saw all the clues and you acted on them. And that's the power of this work. I think that's the power of artists. And The Artist's Way was one of those books that came into my life at an early time when I was performing with Second City Detroit. Our director gave it to us. And I have continued to pass it on because it's powerful, right? Yes. I, I think we've all made Julia Cameron a bunch of money by recommending this. <laughs> but she's definitely gave us our return of, on the investment. Our ROI has been a lot higher than the $30 or however much it costs. Now, today you you teach, you produce, you you mentor in comedy. Obviously, you've, you've been on the main stage of Second City. You've uh, toured. You've done a lot of corporate workshops. You've been in in Latvia, you've been in other countries. I know that your journey started a while before and I saw your TED talk, uh, your TEDx talk uh, at UChicago. Even the fact, even that I had heard it before in the workshop that you taught, that you taught us, I just was so impressed by your story because in 1995, the day that you received probably one of the best news of your life that you had made it to the main stage of Second City, yeah. you also received one of the worst news of your life. Can you can you share a little bit about that story? Oh, that's such a great cliffhanger. I love sharing it. Um, best news and worst news. Uh, I got arrested for picking up um, my boyfriend's mail and I went on a huge journey. It was the fall and rise of a spectacular day. And so I have an Orange is a New Black story. Yes. You know, gal who picks up drugs, who has a kingpin <laughs> boyfriend, and uh, who goes on this journey, who's a fish out of water in this new environment, and how does she survive, and what does she do? Meanwhile, I have this cloud, like, I'm about to go on stage. I just got hired to perform at Second City Detroit. It's like my dream job. And so I had the juxtaposition of two great things, well, two great meaning incredible things, but one being like, one was a heavy weight that was pulling me down. I might be going to jail. And the other one was, I finally am making like a big break in my career. Which is, and, huge, which is huge. So just to understand yes. for, for our listeners, when you picked up the mail, you didn't go into jail immediately when you first got arrested. There was like a trial time and you were still performing. Well, yes. I mean, that particular best day, worst day, I did spend one night in jail. Right. Okay. And then I had a, and then the story is a whole year I performed at Second City while I had this dark cloud and secret that, oh my God, 
I might be going to jail for a long time. What happens? They don't have the crook. They have me. I'm in this drug conspiracy. What's going to happen? So I had this big secret that I was carrying while I was performing on stage. And the only people that knew about it were the people that were very close, my family, you know, lawyer, close friend. I hadn't even told my cast member until the ve- my cast or a cast member um, that was close to me until like later on in that year. So I was awaiting trial. Uh, needless to say, I lost a trial. You know, um, anybody who has, knows anyone that's involved with conspiracy drugs are... Are, are just a, a harsh thing to kind of beat, if you will, even yes. for high level and low level. And spoiler <laughs> alert, you broke up with the yes. guy as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, and here's the thing. I mean, it's like, you know, do we send the kingpin's girlfriend to jail? Of course we do. We send her to jail. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I mean, she's got, she's got nice shoes on. She's got, look, look at how she's, what she's wearing. I mean, no telling what the jurors, how they were sizing me up. Nope, her shoe's too nice. She's going to jail. She's got on a nice suit. She's going to jail. <laughs> trial came down, lost the trial, and there wasn't a, a self-surrender. You go home and you wait and you go in and you turn yourself in. Yeah. Immediately, I was remanded to custody. So I didn't have a transition time. I didn't have any transitions. Like I have on my court clothes, you know, a day or so ago, I was performing on stage. And the next day, I'm going inside and there's no turning back. So that identity shift, actor, performer, daughter, girlfriend, the identity that I knew very close was banished. And instead, I got the new identity of convict, convict, you know, kingpin, drug conspirator, all these new labels, inmate. These were my new labels. They didn't care that I was performing, you know, that I was a performer or anything. It's like once you're kind of in the system, you're in the system and you're a number. So that was harsh adjusting to that new identity. And especially because for us performers or or, or in the, the second city or other institutions, when you get to the main stage, it's not like you wake up, go into improv class and the next day you're in the main stage. Like it takes time. It, oh yeah. You enjoy every single step. Every time you get called up to the next level, it's like you're, you, you always got your eye on, on, on first division on, on, on making your debut in the big leagues to, to compare it to soccer or basketball. And then this happens. Did you ever feel like, oh my God, that there goes my career? Or you, did you know, oh. oh, I'll get out? Well, no, I was devastated. I mean, um, you experience a, an array of emotions. I mean, everything from my life is over. Um, and that was exactly what I will tell you. That was when I heard that guilty verdict. That was the voice that I heard. And then in a split second, I also heard it's just beginning. And I write about that in my book, that my memoir that I'm writing about. Yes. I've been writing on this project for a long time, but that was so, that was eerie to me to hear. I heard my ego say, your life is over. And then in the second breath, I heard, no, it's just beginning. And that spirit voice, whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you've ever heard a voice that tells you, you're going to be okay or trust. I mean, the voice that guides you and tells you that you're going to make it through, just hang on or or whatever. 
that voice scared the heck out of me because I had never heard an angel voice like that so loud. If you want to call it God, if you want to call it spirit, I had never heard someone, a voice speak back to me yeah. that quickly. If there's something In that my, I, if there's something that I can compare it to, obviously, I mean, I haven't been to prison, but um, when I quit my job three years ago, uh, when I quit the bank, it was like a, I wouldn't say like an unpopular decision, but obviously I was doing so well at the bank that it was it didn't make sense to the majority of people because I was trying something new for many people because not a lot of people followed my career before, but I just knew that it would be it would be fine. I knew that I would find a way and I would regret it so much if I didn't take my chance on it. Mm -hmm. And I had never really heard a voice like that, but it was it was so powerful. I just didn't want to wake up when I was 60 and, and be like, what if, what if I would have bet on myself? What if um, I would have quit my job when I was 29 to, to, to pursue what I love? And, right. and, I'm, and I'm glad I'm doing it because now I'm interviewing Diona Griffin. <laughs> and and your, your, TEDx, your TEDx is called How I Improvised in Prison and Found My Voice. When I was I was watching it, you described vividly you, one of your first days, and some everyone has their identity. They're trying to protect themselves in prison, and here you are trying to introduce improv. You're getting you're you're trying to get some gets. You're like, where are you from? Your favorite hobby? Uh, tell me uh, your favorite movie. And everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? Get out of my way! <laughs> How was it to be I mean like? the the new one to suddenly be improvising teaching people and showing them that you don't have to be out of jail to be free in some ways oh yeah yeah it was it was a discovery for me i mean it was the only tool that i had that became my survival skill and i you know i was a performer and i had to rely on what i knew best and my life saving skills were improv comedy, theater, making up characters. And of course, I went in always, I've always been an optimist. I've always seen the glass, you know, more than half full. And I've always been curious. And so I do think my kind of little girl curiosity yeah. kind of kept me like, oh my God, this place is when I wasn't crying. And thank goodness, you know, I had that other side of me because there were days like, oh my goodness, okay, I want to go home. What's going to happen to me? Hey, hey. And then what saved me is this play, the sense of play and this curiosity where I could go up to people and say, hey, let's do something different. I know this is, you know, I mean, we're all stuck here, here anyway. Yeah. You know, we don't have any board games. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's make up and create. And by doing that, it was a huge reminder that we can go anywhere in this environment and not be stuck and not be stifled. And so it was freeing uh, mentally. It was liberating. And so that exchange and that play and the improv that I ended up doing wherever in that whole time. Because um, you were in different, up, different prisons, right? Yes. Well, yes. Uh, well, not not hardcore prisons, but you know, I do like to say. I did I did have a Martha Stewart experience. I was like in a I was in a minimum security camp. 
you know, no, there were no bars. There was, there was a nice Kentucky road that we could do our jogging and our running. Um, we stayed in dorms. We had a cafeteria. We wore gym shoes and that sort of thing. And across the way, there was a barbed wire fence, barbed wire fence and that's where the men's prison. And that was more of a kind of prison kind of, and oh. we could look across the way and see the men and, and flirt and say hi. Yeah, I ended up, I ended up um, I think I might have told you, so yeah, I ended up pin palling with um, a Colombian boyfriend. We were a boyfriend at the kind of like pin pals. You, you had your own Maluma back in the day. I love it. I, love it. I remember from the workshop that, that, that you taught me that, that, that shook me that you said that because you were transferred from prison to prison as, as your time went by, that I think you did a, like two, two years or two and a half years approximately yeah. in total. Yeah. But the, the better that you behaved, they would reduce your time, kind of, right? Mm -hmm. But I remember that you mentioned that this one point, for whatever reason, you, you were transferred into like a ma more maximum security prison and you were in a, in a prison cell that was significantly more isolated and that was just devastating And I've seen Netflix documentaries where people say you want to commit suicide if you're like uh, isolated for a month or, or two months from somebody who's never uh, when you hear this for the first time. And obviously with no judgment, I'm like, I, I could be by myself, but but really, I've seen so many people do it that you can't like you go nuts. Like even yeah. if you're good meditating, you're writing it like being isolated and it is probably the worst thing that can happen. And I remember you mentioning that one of the ways that you coped was writing, was journaling. Yes, yes. I remember, oh gosh, I, I think I have like a journal entry, you know, that I kept. And, um, oh, July 31st, 1996. Obviously, this What? was over 20-something years ago. This is not good. Tonight, the deputy and security transferred seven women, including myself, into the old jail. These cells haven't been used in two or more years. Formerly, this is where the men were kept. You want solitary confinement? This is it. All the luxury we thought we had or any comfort is completely gone. The cell is half the size with one bed, a toilet, and a sink. I swear this looks like jail on TV and the movies. We are in maximum security. They definitely tricked us. This is really jail. You see nothing but bars, no windows, no TV, absolutely nothing. Two steps is all I can take from my bed. I hope they don't keep us in here long. It is disgusting. If it wasn't for my strength and the other women in here, I swear these conditions could destroy someone. Oh, my God. And did you already have the artist's way by, back then or you had not been introduced to it? I, I, I have been journaling ever since I was a young girl. It's interesting you brought that up because I found my journals from when I was 12 or 13 and I was reading those. The Artist's Way was given to us as a gift when I was on the cast stage with the, the Detroit cast. So that yeah. was given to me prior to okay. um, going through my jail adventure. And... Um, I didn't finish the book. I didn't finish the artist's way. I didn't pick that back up until I got back home, which was starting in a new home in Chicago in 1999. So this work, my writing 
is what saved me. It felt like it felt very natural for me to connect with pen and paper, to write and journal. That was what definitely kept my sanity and grounded me. It's also where I did a lot of my planning and that experience that happened in my 20s, mama's a little older now, but that experience, <laughs> um, that experience that happened, you know, two, over two decades ago uh, was a catalyst for the work that I do yes. now, my inclusion work. It was when I first got exposed to people from all different walks of life, all different ethnicities, all different sexual orientation backgrounds, social economic status, and it really influenced my desire and curiosity to learn and expose the work and play and improv and inclusion that I do today that influences my work and probably my writing today. Yes. That I, experience. I find it fascinating that you've been able to, just to use a word from the pandemic, reinvent yourself in, in many ways. But what, what I'm very curious about is you've been able to now be a, a great wife, a mother of two. You've been able to mentor a lot of people, and, including myself. And how, but how difficult was it or what did you do to disattach yourself from a potential identity of being a felon or a criminal? Because maybe that's what the system is telling you right when you, when you leave. Now I see you smile. I see you laugh. Well, obviously, comedy is tragedy plus time. You're, you're comfortable. But maybe when you first got out, you weren't like, hey, look at me. Let's do improv. I did improv. I was in jail. Uh, it, how do you transition? Because this one time I got a traffic ticket and I dwelled on it for mm -hmm. like 80 years. And I'm, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm, a, I'm a bad person. But I mean, there's layers to everyone. It's easier said than done. How do you transition and how do you get over? This is not who I am. Mm -hmm. I am also a mother, I am a wife, I am a mentor, I am a performer, I am a citizen. What did you do? I use some of the same techniques that I use back in that jail experience that I use now. I have never been one to attach to labels. And it's probably one of the reasons why I do diversity and inclusion work or my work became about inclusion, not attaching to labels. Because I believe that labels will put you into a box. It defines a person. It limits a person. It restricts a person. And I felt that restriction, obviously, when I went into an environment when the people who, and the, the people who were there, the authorities, they told me that, oh, you're this, you're this, you can't do this, and you're this and this. And it's like, hold up. Wait a minute. I know who I am. I mean, it's like, I haven't drunk this juice just yet. I haven't drunk jail juice yet. Don't try to tell me that I'm now this, 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 and this. And that kind of conditioning and those, that, that control was all around me. And so my act of social, personal resistance yes, from the beginning, from the beginning of that journey was to resist all that what was being thrust upon me and to claim my identity and to remember who I was. Writing helped me remember who I was. So every time there was a, a label like felon that yeah. was coming, I, I would turn that into a positive acronym. Oh, in my journals, I would do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm fun, enthusiastic, 
loving, optimistic Neanderthal, you know? So <laughs> I, would, I would turn, yeah, I would turn it into a positive. So when I had to take a mugshot, if you saw, and I probably have it in one of my, my writings or my journal somewhere, but so when I took a mugshot, instead of just kind of like looking at all, you know, kind of, <laughs> Look at all kind of, you know, rough or whatever. It's like, I would smile. It's like, this is a picture. I like the smile. I like the, the smile. Just beaver smile. So, <laughs> yes, beaver so I would, <laughs> right. That was my way of using, um, if you want to call it passive, you know, passive aggressive, you know, resistance. I think it's very interesting. The magic that happens in the journaling. I Sometimes mm-hmm. I would, I would not journal in the morning and I would just, feel uh, like something's bugging me and I'm like, I'm just going to resolve it in the paper. Let's go to journal it out and mm-hmm. it would just work itself out. And even if, if I didn't have a clear answer, I just felt better. And oh, yes. and you, it's like you're doing your own personal self-awareness and personal growth on the, on the page. One of the things that, that you mentioned right now that I find very interesting in, in, I did this course called the Landmark Forum that is uh, like personal growth. And one of the distinctions that I loved the most is that pain is when you have, when people can't distinguish the facts from the story they're telling themselves. So for example, Mm -hmm. this, this circle is what happened, but the story you're telling yourself when these two collide and you can't distinguish the story you're telling yourself from what actually happened, that's when pain happens. So like, nah, my my dad abandoned me. It's like, no, dude, your your dad just moved across the street or like five minutes away. Or it's like, I got a traffic ticket. That's the facts. What's the story that I told myself? I'm a horrible person. Uh-huh. I'm a horrible citizen. I shouldn't even be on the streets. And and I think that when you when you journal you it's like therapeutic and you start to remember what what you're actually made of what you love who Mm -hmm. you are and it's like kind of like a shield against outside people telling you or trying to label you yep journaling is it is the conduit to your truth and to your the spirit voice that knows that knows and that wants to to save you you know it's kind of like if you've ever read neil donald walsh's book um conversations with god and all of a sudden he's just, i mean it's a an amazing book where not to make this so religious and all but um <laughs> it's the the writing the writing is just incredible because it's just like oh my gosh where does this you know even like another book like um the four agreements i don't know if you've ever read the four I've agreements heard of it. i haven't read it but i've heard of it and and so you have these books where these enlightened souls or gurus if you will are just speaking at such a a level of intelligence and bliss and um, free from pain, free from fear. And it's evident in the writing. And it's like, wow, this is like powerful stuff. How did they get there? And I believe that it's triggered from this all-knowing voice that exists inside of us, whatever you want to call it, your spirit voice, whatever it is. I've been reading a lot since I quit my job, and it's definitely helped me uh, appreciate myself a lot more 
and and again shield myself from outside pressure or from outside mm -hmm. labels and i want to move i want to move a little bit to to the future and obviously when i got connected to you was because in 2018 i did a casting an, an audition for the second city uh, diversity and inclusion fellowship also known as the bob bob curry fellowship that specific event for me was arguably the most validating thing that has happened to me in my in my career as an artist because i went into the audition didn't know anybody and got selected fair and square it's not because i knew the directors or because i had a name in the community or because uh, there were a bunch of Latinos in the audience and I said something that they meant. It was like, for the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged with an elite group of artists. And to me, you you believe it. Like you believe it like, oh no, I'm, I'm good. Like I've killed it in shows, but it's different to feel it. And in some environments, you're good. Some in environments you're uncomfortable, but here, I never, it was like 16 of us who got picked yes. for this program out of, I don't know how many people, but I, I had never been a part of such a diverse and talented and supportive group of artists where for the first time in a long time or forever, I felt like I belonged, especially artistically. And, and to me, it was a huge deal because when I quit my job that in, in 2017, that I'm very grateful for because it gave me many skills that have made me a successful entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it wasn't a, a very popular decision. People couldn't understand it. And this was like for the first time, it was a second city internationally recognized where I was accepted tuition free to a four month uh, master development program in improv and, and sketch comedy. And I remember exactly the place where I was, where I got your email or the acceptance email. I was in the bathroom taking a dump in the Yorkdale Mall <laughs> in North York, Toronto, right before teaching a, a comedy work, a public speaking through comedy workshop. And I just couldn't believe it. And and it was, you know, like you could be in the bath, you could be anywhere, but you feel like you're on top of the world. And it didn't really matter what was going to happen or not. It just felt like I belonged. And then when I got there, it was a bunch of people like me just trying to find our own voice. We've, we're diverse. We're, some of us are immigrants. There I learned for the first time, I, I was given the courage and the tools to speak my own voice versus my own comedic voice versus saying what I knew people would want to hear because that's what's funny for them. And as an artist, you some you ha, you know, you know, like, okay, this is the low hanging fruit. This is what I can say because they're, 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 they're going to laugh or I can take a gamble and say what I really want to say. And we'll see what happens. It, I felt like in that program, it tilted where I was finally able to say a bunch of the things that I wanted to on stage, regardless of whether or not a white audience would like it or a Latino audience would like it because I've mostly felt out of place as an immigrant. And here 
was the first time artistically where, where I felt like home. And right. you were a big part of that program. And I just want to hear your your insight and what's it been like for you to make people feel like me, but just in Chicago, in Toronto, other places, many years, because my my class was not the first one. And where did this idea come from? What was it like to, to build it? Oh my goodness. When you were when you were telling your story um, and how it made you feel, it reminded me of uh, when I was an actor and I graduated from college with a degree in radio, TV, and film, and I was clueless on how to navigate the industry. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have a connection with an agent. I didn't know where to where to turn. I was just kind of like clueless. And here I am. I'm a graduate from college. So much of the inspiration, you know, obviously I expanded and built and created and developed a year-long program. And, you know, thanks to, you know, Andrew Alexander at Second City, who also offered me a job when I left boot camp, my whole experience, and yes. said, you know, what can we do? He saw that I created a show, I bought, brought in an audience, and then he gave me you know, the opportunity to create and expand a whole program and with free will, what would I want? What would it look like? And with that in Chicago, I created a year long program of auditions, panel events, shows, representation, access, workshops, intensives, all geared towards opening the doors and creating more access yes. for people who did not have access to the art form or underrepresented voices in many different areas. And that program, Bob Curry Fellowship, is essentially a brainchild. I developed that um, first with the initial ideas, like, you know, from intensives. And then I collaborated with the artistic director, he's not there anymore, with Matt Hubdy in Chicago on here's the kind of program that it should be. And we came up with all these different tenets. Well, we should have this finding your voice and this, this, this. But it all comes from not having that experience as an actor and wanting to have that family and that community and have a sense of what that family and community felt like when I was on stage with Second City Detroit. And the affinity for the artists that I had worked with, um, with a word show where it was a collected group of talented artists and just seeing what the genesis of what came out of that, what artists from all different backgrounds could create and just seeing that there was a need for it. Yes, There was a freaking need for it. And I've always been of the mindset you know, because I was in that position, I don't take that, you know, lightly, that if you don't see it, you know, don't wait for permission for someone else to tell you what you need to do, then you create yeah. it. Yeah, that's kind of a, what we did. There was no stand up comedy in Spanish in Toronto, let alone someone crazy enough to think that they can make a living out of stand up comedy in a language that was not official to the country. And me and my my comedy partner, my business partner, Huang and I were just like, we'll create it. Screw this. Yes. And, and we're quit our jobs and we're just going to tour in Spanish. And it was also one of the first times through the program where I got validated or got a chance to do something in English. 
because this whole time it, we had been doing it in Spanish. So it was it was incredible for for me to to be there. All the workshops were fantastic, and, and the the show was just magical. You know, like you've probably felt this many times, but sometimes you're on stage, and there's rare moments because some some this is gonna sound pretty arrogant, but you the the better you get on stage, when mm-hmm. you kill it, it's not as it's not as special anymore. But the first time you kill it, and oh, yeah. it, it's like you are on top of the world, and right. like in stand up in Spanish or sometimes in English too, like I'll I'll kill it, but it's it's not the first time that I do it, so it's not as magical anymore. It, it still feels incredible, but but right. not as right. like the first time. And the show for for the diversity fellowship, it was just one of those day, those days when you're on stage. And you're like, this is what I was born for. Like, this is exactly where I need to be in this moment in the world. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is how yes. it's supposed to feel. And, and this is what I've been working towards my entire life. And um, back home, since Second City is recognized pretty much worldwide, and a lot of people have come like really good um, artists have come out of it. When I said that I was admitted or I posted, I was admitted because I was super excited into this program. It was like, wow, this guy is actually good. It's like, Oh, I, we just thought that he liked to do stand up or whatever. Like, this is a hobby. <laughs> but when another institution like renowned picks you, yeah. it's like, even you like yourself, you're like, Oh shit, I'm, I'm actually good. <laughs> <laughs> like I, it's not. It was not just me who yeah. I thought I was kind of good. It's like they see something in me that maybe I'm not even seeing in myself. I kind of know I have it, but to be recognized. And in Spanish, we have a verb that is like "codearse." Codo, codo is elbow, and and they mm-hmm. say you can when you're codeándote, when you're elbowing with talented people it brings your game up but it, it also means that you you deserve to be there or the it, right that you have the the enough talent or sufficient talent to be there so to me it, to me there will always be a before and after that that uh fellowship and and it it was definitely a time where where i believed it i i believed it that i that I got it. I got it. Like I kind of knew it. That's why I bet on myself. That's how I quit my job. But in some days, especially on the down days, it's like, well, I believe in myself, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe, maybe I was really better as a banker. You never know. But on these days, like after this, it's like never looking back. This is right. And, and at the same time, you continue to evolve. And we were talking about this. I want to hear your opinion. I was telling you that I've kind of struggled with my identity as as a comedian because on my Instagram it says comedian, but I don't want to post about like sketches all the time. I don't want to like laugh all the right. time. And I don't want right. to, I want to talk about being a dad. I want to talk about being a husband, an athlete. So even though my wall here is all about comedy because this I, I cherish all my shows and, and my favorite festivals, I'm thinking about filling up this whole room with other memories about, well, I have my baby baby Liam when he was just born right here. Um, yes. But I, I want to, there's other layers to us. 
So how have you navigated that where, oh, my God, Diona, she's incredible, the main stage. And then and then you go to jail, you come back, you create this program, you're mentoring people. But you also want to talk about other things. Was it hard to not be on stage all the time and 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 teach and produce? Do you, do you miss it at all or do you enjoy all the layers of, of being yourself? Well, I have to say that I think there was a time in my life you know, particularly when I got pregnant and married and had my babies and they were so young that there was a part of me that wanted to have, to hold on to my creative identity. And I know that will always be there. So I used to say, I used to say until the pandemic, I'm like, oh my Lord, it's like, I'm just so glad. It's like, I cannot be one of those people that's at home. I used to say that. I used to say that because I, I mean, I love my work. I love creating. I love teaching. I love producing. I love mentoring. I love teaching. I love writing. I love all aspects of that. And that is who I am. So I embrace all of that. But I'm also a mother who loves to bake. I love yeah. to bake pump, you know, um, pumpkin pancakes, banana bread, or um and the artist you know, asks you all these questions and brings you back to who you really are and what you love to do. Yes, yes. And so all of that. So, you know, when I make these mama jokes. You know, it's like, well, mama didn't, da, da, da. it's like, because I am a mama. Yeah. I am a mama. And I think that I am one, I'm a better mom to my children when they see the creative side of me. And I am also a better um, mentor and producer yeah. when they see that I have a family and that I'm balancing. It's like, I have the same amount of hours, the 24 hours that yeah. you have in your day, but I have triple amount of work to do because I am a mother. So I'm getting up a lot earlier or either I'm going yes. to bed later and Steve, I'm doing a lot of stuff. So Steve Martin in his master class says that it's actually better if you're not going from 16 years old straight to stand up. It's actually better if you or a dad, an athlete, you've worked in an office that you maybe hated because you have so many things to, to relate to with, with audiences, but you're just, you, you have different hats to put on and different yes. things to talk about as opposed to just touring and being on stage, which is fine. But when a lot of people are like, no, I'm too old to do stand up," or no, I've been an accountant all my life. Well, fine. That's perfect. Like there's so many things that you can talk about. And, mm -hmm. and age, I don't think age is a limit. No, absolutely not. You know, I love when I was in a class and one of my students said, you've lived. Like when I dropped my jail bomb story, because obviously people don't think like, oh my God, I've been to jail. I've done this and da, da, da. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, oh man, you, they, one, they want to hear the jail stories. Yeah. People want to know what it was like. And then when people, you know, hear it, hear it it's like, wow, you've lived you've lived, you've got something to talk about and something to share. It's like, yes, and I can write about this. I can put it into my work. And because I've lived and I'm peeling that layer back and I'm leaning into it, the uncomfortableness, the confusion of it all, the, yes. I'm, I'm leaning to all of it. It fuels my work. I think you just hit a nail in the head because sometimes you're about everyone asking about your jail story, all the interviews that I, that I do like, Oh, what was it like to quit your job in the corporate world, be a comedian? And I'm like, Oh, this question again. But then I think relationships move at the speed of vulnerability. And yeah. 
the best stories are not like, oh, I have 18 Ferraris and 18 mansions and I live in Monaco. Who cares about that? It's it's vulnerability that connects with people. It's no coincidence that comedy is truth and pain, tragedy plus time. And and, and why do people love to hear these stories? Why do most stories or, or the climax is never like a beautiful day? The climax is always something that has pain when you share vulnerable stuff vulnerability builds trust so when yeah. you when you said why does it always have to start here it's the the point of inflection it's it's one of yeah. the points of inflection where people they try to understand and and would like to be in your shoes they kind of see themselves in your in your shoes and what would they do sometimes so mm-hmm. as much as i complain I, I love that people love that side of my story because it connects with audiences. Yes. I I discovered as well that the jail story, you know, jail is just an environment. Obviously, you know, I have this kind of quirky look. I don't know if it's quirky or just kind of a rose colored, you know, look at environments that, you know, jail can be anything. You know, we all have our own personal jails and things that are holding us back and places where we need to kind of go through an experience sometimes to discover who we who we really are. And so that's what that experience was for us. And I think people kind of can glean from that, like, how did you survive? And what did you do? And who was this crook? And he had you do what? It's like, because we all have this side, I, I, I like to think, you know, and, and if you haven't, then maybe not, or maybe it's coming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have... I have a great speaker and comedian friend. His name is Jose Piranian. And he always says, people don't care about the story itself. They want to see themselves reflected in it. And they want to feel like the hero of that story. And and I, I, I love that. And I love something else that you said to me the other day. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm butchering the quote because I loved it. But it was like, I asked you about, do you miss the stage? And you said something along the lines of my stage is everywhere I go or everywhere I am. What was that? Yes, yes. You, 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 you hit it. You hit it. Um, I did say that, you know, everywhere I go is, is a stage, you know, whether it's one person, two people, yes. three people, 500, everywhere you go, you are on stage and in connection and in relationship with someone. There is somewhat, not necessarily that you have to be performing, yeah. but you're on. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. To end this life-changing interview, <laughs> I want to ask you uh, one of the questions that I'm going to ask all my interviewees, all my guests, and it's the champagne question. And you're the first guest that I asked this to. It's one of my favorite questions anyway, so a lot of people have heard it. So it goes like this. If we were to meet a year from now with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating in Diona's life? Oh, I love that. We are celebrating um, my book that is either going to be an ebook or PDF, or either I will have closer legs that it's being published somewhere, or either I have self-published it. Yeah. I have either self-published it and converted it into a ebook. And um, I will be able to tell you about how well these classes that I've launched and the new offerings yes. that I've done. Well, I'm joining your telling, yeah. your, telling your truths class. And I'm very excited. And I know that that my community listening to this would would love to join. Where could they find about this class? And and 
how often are you going to teach it? Well, I hope to uh, teach it regularly. I, I would say like every quarter I want to offer it at least once. And I'm thinking of three levels. They can find information going to Deanna Griffin Irons dot blog. Yes. So the class information yes. is on there. I will I'm put going it on to also episode. send you a I will put it on the episode notes so they can have it as well. And then I'm going to also send you a link that you can email out to your email list so they will have that information. Yeah, it's a six six week class and I'm hoping to have three levels because I think that, you know, once you kind of like go to that first, you know, kind of like brain dump, this is what it is, that you've got to keep running. You got to, it's a marathon, right? You got to keep running. And I... So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to kind of building, you know, building that out. Me too. I'm, I'm in and uh, I think I'm going to be crying in a couple of those journaling sessions, oh, but it has to, it has to get done because comedy is truth and pain. And, and it's always great to, to be able to tell your own story and share it with others because just like the purpose and description of this podcast, it, it is very important to, to learn along the way, but also give a voice to those who have lost it. So maybe my journey and definitely your journey is is empowering and and giving a voice to those who have lost it or to or those who think that they're going through this alone or that they're the only ones that have gone through these hardships. So I am taking the classes and I hope a bunch of people join me. I am very grateful for for that I got to meet you in 2018 and we continue to be friends. And, and thank you for, for the impact that you've had on me, on, on all my students, because that was instrumental in my journey. So rest assured that your, your legacy is uh, very positive. Oh. oh, I feel like I gotta give you a heart. I gotta give you a heart. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we Thank are- you, Stefan. This is amazing. Okay, question for you. Yes. Since I was a virgin. Was it, it good? It was, it was an incredible. I what an incredible uh, virginity loss here, for the first episode. This was this was actually how I how I envisioned it. I had uh, all my questions answered. We had some vulnerability. I know people are gonna love it because I've told your story to many people after that workshop, and and now they get to hear it here in the Stefan Dyer podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And they can follow, you know, let's follow. Can we kind of give a, a shout out my handle? Yeah. Deanna G Irons yeah. Um, on Insta. And I know you have a huge following. Yeah. No, yeah. they'll be able to see you. I'm going to tag you and your information and the course will also be on the episode notes. So on that note, Jen. my friends, thank you for listening. This is Diona Griffin Irons and Stefan Dyer. Goodbye. Gracias por escuchar el Stefan Dyer Podcast. Arrivederci, my people.